So, Nick, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about where you've grown up. Yeah, so, um, I'm a hut boy, originally, upper hut, bogan. <laughs> um, yeah, so a little bit of my background. Um, brought up in upper hut, you know, a loving, caring family, but no mention of Jesus in the family. Well, not in a good way. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ got mentioned a few times, but... Not for the reason that I'd mention him now. Um, yeah, and so I was brought up in a really loving family. My father was a policeman, um, and and I was a bit of a rebellious boy back in my teenage years. Um, got into my metal and all the rest of it, and was doing that thing. Um, Can you define metal, please? Oh, heavy metal. Heavy metal. Yeah. So not just like normal steel metal. Like no, 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 no. heavy metal. <laughs> And, um, so, so when you was, said bogan from the hut, yeah, yeah. you weren't lying. You're yeah, that's straight it. up. Okay, Black cool. jeans, dock boots, mullet, you know, all the rest of it. <laughs> Hanging with the wrong people. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I grew up in a family where there, there was no God. There was no mention of God in the family. And um, I think maybe once or twice we got sent to Sunday school just because they thought it was a good thing to do. But of course, if there's no drawing from God, that doesn't, that doesn't continue. You know, it's one of those things where, oh, it's a good thing. Oh, no, it's getting in the way of our lives. We, you know, get it back our weekends, you know. And so there was really no mention of God throughout my upbringing. Um, so fast forward a number of years. Um, I was living a life which was full of pride. I didn't know this, but everything was centered on me. It was all about me. So my relationship with my wife, who's awesome, was about what I could get out of the relationship. Wanting to have kids was, what are they going to fulfill for me? Um, you know, having a house, a car, you know, all these different things were all about me. You know, what, what, what can I get from it? Any, every friend I had was, what am I going to get from it? If you don't give me what I want, then see you later. And so, but in that, you know, people would say, oh, he's a really nice guy. He's a friendly guy. He's good. He's, you know, kind to people and all these different things. So... From a world's point of view, I would say that, you know, I was coming across as, you know, they'd say a good guy, yeah, a nice guy. You know, he looked out for people, he did things for people, all the rest of it. But in that looking out for people and doing things for people, there was even selfishness in that. Because it's affirmation of people. It's the need for people's affirmation, people's respect, these sorts of things. So everything was about me. It, every My world centered around me. I was my God. And so, and I knew no different. You know, I, I hadn't heard there was another way. You know, I knew there was, I didn't know any other way. And the, the Christians I saw, I thought, oh yeah, that's all right for them. You know, I thought they needed a crutch. I thought they were weak individuals who needed some fairy in the sky who, um, you know, would they would pray to and hope that things would happen, you know, and that, and that's, that was my understanding of Christians. So why would I want that? You know, why would I want that? I was doing fine, you know. And so I got to a point where I was in my 30s and Thing was, things were going good as far as the world's concerned, as far as I was concerned at the time. I had a wife, a couple of awesome kids. Our marriage was good. That I thought it was good. <laughs> um, and house, car, you know, all the things were both working. We've got jobs. We're making ends meet, you know, that live in the Kiwi dream, you know. Number eight wire, we can do everything. I can do everything. You know, I don't need anyone for anything. I was very independent, brought up that way. I'll do everything. I'm all good. You know, and as far you know, and I could have lived that life, and and it's only through the mercy and kindness of God that I didn't end up continuing in that life. 
living something that was for now and for myself and selfishness and not for an eternal thing, an eternal purpose and an eternal perspective. I knew there were, I didn't even know of an eternal purpose, eternal life. You know, I had no knowledge of that. And so anyway, I got to being 33 years of age and my awesome wife, Jo, she met with the Lord and she got to know God. And I thought this was good at first because it was, uh, you know, she would go to church and I would play, do my gaming or whatever I was into at the time. And it gave me time away with the kids that were gone. She was gone. She was taking them along. I was like, awesome, sweet. Selfishness, you know, it's like, sweet, more time for me. Go, go to groups, man. <laughs> do this thing, you know. But she would try and talk to me about um, Jesus and I would never bar of it. It just, it. It wasn't repulsive, but I was just not interested at all. I just didn't want him. I didn't want what I thought he stood for. I didn't want what I thought he would do. But I was so wrong. And the way I came to know him and the way that he had to smash through that pride was he had to reveal himself to me. And so Joe had started going to a life group. A life, some people moved over our fence at the back. And started a life group there, and Joe ended up going to the life group and ended up coming to the Rock Church. So I thought it was cool. Maybe she can go and do her thing. I ended up going to the life group. Yeah, I kind of want to jump in there because we've got two other people and they, they haven't had any introduction yet. So can we pause it there? I mean, I just want to leave it on some some some, some suspense. Because I don't, I don't want to give it all away right now. So we had a laugh earlier because it's kind of it's kind of like one of those jokes, you know? It's like. A South African, a Samoan, and a bogan from the hut walk into a bar. <laughs> so, Sina... Start of a good joke, bro. We're start of a good joke. Sina, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about your bringing? Um, man, if I look calm to you, I'm actually, like, shitting myself on the inside. <laughs> but... She's shaking. She's shaking. <laughs> but um, as we sit before you... Um, I just want to express um, our gratitude. Um, gratitude with a thank you. Thank you for your um, patience. Thank you for your um, encouragement. And just thank you for your support this morning. So um, I encourage you. And um, I, encourage, I encourage you with a humble heart. Um, let the Lord show you who he is with our gathering this morning. Um, <laughs> this box is for me. <laughs> no, mate. Me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was raised about as privileged as privilege can be. Um, I'm grateful and truly blessed to be raised with two sets of families, two countries, and two cultures. So when I was 10, I oh, no, I was born in Auckland, and then um, after I turned one, our parents uh, migrated to actually return to Samoa. And um, in Samoa, my brother, who is here, um, my brother uh, and I were raised by my parents, by my um, by my grandparents, by my aunties and uncles, by my yeah, you, you yeah, we were. Yeah. So, so how big are, was your family? Actually, okay, imagine the rock car park. 
and then imagine three to four households with 15 people living in very close proximity doing life together. So I thoroughly recommend um, Samoan communal living, more so if you're allergic to people. (laughs) Because they have a very much a holistic approach regarding this. It's either get over yourself or... We pray that Jesus will let get over yourself go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But I also grew around first cousins. I grew around, um, I grew up, I grew up around um, aunts who were widows, um, you know, um, divorced family members, family members with addiction, family members with also mental illness. So, I, I honestly think I am truly blessed not only to be raised around people who modelled and demonstrated mana, but also to um, a group of people in a culture that demonstrated what it was like to serve family, country, and God. But for me personally, um, God was this mystical thing or a mystical entity, and to be honest, it was actually not my faith. It was my family's faith. Um, both sets of families are raised um, and belong to the Christian Congregational Church in Samoa. Um, we went to church every Sunday. We also, um, we also uh, every din- before dinner, we would praise and worship every day, seven days a week. So, yeah. This, um, and... Sunday schools, every Sunday afternoon, us girls around about the age of seven in the village would um, go to the uh, reverend's house um, for his wife um, to teach us how to, you know, teach us timetables, teach us, you know, the alphabet, teach us how to to write, but more, it's to write in calligraphy, not just the standard, but also... Us girls learnt about how to sew buttonholes and pillowcases. Yep, mm-hmm, yeah. It was just, yeah, it, yeah, mm-hmm. And it was during this, um, <laughs> but it was also um, during this time that I, that I started to question, like, why do I need God? Um, I've got a great family, I've got great parents, but also, like, what's... God got to do with buttonholes and pillowcases, you know? Yeah. Um, so when I was 10, um, my parents returned to New Zealand, and then a year later, our sister was born. And um, after two years in Auckland, we moved to Wellington due to my father's studies, but also work opportunities, um, career opportunities, yeah, work opportunities, but also too for myself and Mose's, um education, um, and when our father finished his studies, we moved to Purirua, and, and <laughs> proud, love it. <laughs> who, who in here is from Purirua? Oh, wow. Yeah. wow, that's, that, I didn't realise. <laughs> but, um, and we, my parents attended a really cute little church in, um, in Purirua, and, um, but by this time, I was so far removed from anything God or anything church. And so um, 
at the age of 14, I went up to my mother and I said, okay, you know this church thing? It's not my thing. It's your thing, but it's not my thing. And man, this gracious woman turned to me and she said the most profound, but also quite prophetic thing. And she said, Sina, do what you want to do, but know you can return. And so I did what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not much in a Samoan household when you're 14. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when, um, when I turned 16, um, my parents informed us kids, our family and friends, our mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, yeah. During these six years of her illness, it changed our family dynamics. Um, My brother and I had a bit more responsibilities. Our quiet but awesome father with so much mana um, took on a bit more responsibility. He was the chef in the family. Um, But also my... um, the mother-daughter relationship between me and my mother changed because I was now having to pick up a bit more responsibilities, but also, too, was her, one of her carers um, during, you know, nighttime, but also the weekend when medical provisions couldn't come. Um, so, yeah, this really started to, yeah, things started to shift for us, not only as family, but for me personally. Um, Yeah, what I'm just about to mention, but during her illness, though, man, she is such a strong woman of faith. I just saw her relationship with the Lord just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And what about your relationship with the Lord? I was, I had no relationship with the Lord. I had, remember, 14, said, don't want to know the Lord. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was, yeah. And so the God that your mum knew... And she was getting sick, mm. and you were watching this. What what did that do for your position on God? Like, did you always believe that there was a God, and you were you were rebelling against Him, or did you sort of had you decided there isn't God? Like, do you know, as I witnessed that, and due to the fact that I I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. So I started to count on my confidence, my abilities. So I literally was, yeah, I could, I was, I started to actually make sure, I started to make sure that I was strong mentally and strong physically, um, to, to just deal, to, it's excuse to cope with what was happening. Um, so yeah, that's what I was starting to do. Yeah. Um, and by the time, actually, by the time I was 20 and things weren't looking too good, um, and we now we're told that our mother had a year to live, I started to mentally prepare for her death, but I also started to put an action plan in place for myself, my sibling, and my father. And a year later, um, 
a year later. Um, Luisa. Luisa Teo Apelo was absent from us, absent from our family, but she was before the Lord. Question one now. Your turn, brother. (laughs) Well done, Sina. Well done. It's not easy to be uh, real and vulnerable up here, so I'm very grateful that you three are willing to do that. So, Lawrence, South African, tell us about your uh, your upbringing, mate. Well, the upbringing, that's um, not as big as yours. <laughs> but also very interesting, though. Um, I was born to, the, I was the youngest, born to a family of uh, four children. Um, so I was the fourth. And um, my folks were divorced when I was 18 months old. So I can't really say I knew a family together in terms of mother and father together. Um, So my oldest brother, Rodney, sister Beverly, and my brother, Gordon. um, Obviously, we we grew up separately from from each other in a sense. From um, my my two brothers, um, lived with my dad, my sister. She was in and out between our family, well, in terms of my mom and and linked with my dad, um, purely because of, uh, what is it, administration, um, purely because of the way things worked out. Uh, my mother was, was seeing various other people at that time, um, from different boyfriends to different uh, relationships and so on. She eventually uh, married a chap, interestingly enough, a name, with a guy by the name of Gordon, um, who... I'm not going to complex. I'm not going to make that complex because it's very complex. <laughs> There's uh, multiple different names that are the same uh, within our family. Actually, I didn't tell you that on on Wednesday. <laughs> um, but anyway, my mum and her, her her husband at that stage was was they were looking at various different religions. They were looking at you name it. They tried it. Um, they even set up a, a shrine in the, in the back garden. Um, at that stage, they were they were more on the Buddhist side of things, and um, but in that little um, sh- shrine, as it were, they set up every little religious um, symbol within it. So there was a war zone in there. <laughs> you can only imagine. But um, as a little boy, though, um, and I'm sure it was because of my dad's influence, I was taken to to church every Sunday. Um, while living with my mum. When I was, shortly after my mum got married, um, I would would be staying with my dad. So for about two and a half years, I stayed with my dad. And all of a sudden there was an upheaval because I didn't want to go for a bath on one evening. And there was a big blow up in the family because there wasn't discipline. My dad was trying to discipline me. And of course, being a, a strong South African family, there was spankings involved. And my mother was very anxious. She was on the other extreme, no discipline. And um, so she whipped me out of, out of that home situation and back with her. So I grew up under this thing of different, different religions being exposed to, but still going to church every single Sunday, being part of um, a, um, a church at that stage, the Methodist church, 
when I lived, when I stayed with my dad, there was um, obviously went to, went to church with him. So the main diet that I received was Christian. The main diet that I received in terms of my upbringing was was before the Lord. And um, I remember when I was when I was six years old, at that stage, staying with my dad, I was I was invited to go to this little holiday club, which is about two blocks away from where we lived. And it was there that I I remember very clearly giving my heart to the Lord um, as a little boy, but not having full understanding of what I was doing. So everybody else was doing it. So this must be cool. This must be the right thing to do, you know. Um, And it was around about when I was 14, um, my stepfather, um, he he was developing heart conditions and various different other things. And we moved from um, Johannesburg. I was born in Johannesburg. Oh, that's the other thing. I've, I've moved around a bit. Um, born in Johannesburg, bred Durban, lived in Cape Town for a while, lived in the UK for a while, back to Durban. This is my adult life. But anyway, um, let me come back to what I was saying. Um, so 14 years old, I moved to Durban. Um, the first part of my high school, I was, I was picked on every single day. So this move to Durban was, was a great opportunity to be pretty much start fresh, yeah, as you say, um, re, re, recreate myself, as it were, because um, um, you, had a good, you had a good laugh at that as well, because my high school, so high school for us would be, um, at that stage, standard six, which is now grade eight, which is all very confusing, which is now year nine here, so it's very confusing, so my standard six year, year nine, um, I was, it was a technical school, very hard, very rough kind of background in terms of people. Um, I was the nostril. I got picked on every day. <laughs> That's the joke. <laughs> so if you like it, you can use it, have it. I got picked on. I've already claimed that joke. You will hear it a few more <laughs> times. So can, I've got a question. So yeah. you're brought up in a, in a mixed family that has a lot of different religions or beliefs and things going on, but for you, you'd chosen, or you'd, you'd chosen to believe in God um, and head along to a Sunday service a little bit like this. How confusing was it having all of these other gods, lowercase g, um, in, in and around your upbringing? Like, was there like a gray area where everything was God, or was it specific, you know? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, totally. Um, I don't think that for me there was ever a gray area in terms of what I truly believed in my heart. Um, There was never really a thing of, is God real? As in, the the true God. Um, For me it was always, Jesus is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's, for me, there was never any doubt about that, yet I was exposed to all these other things. Um, I mean, I did karate myself. I did various different things. We, but I did all that stuff. But for me, it was, it was peripheral. It wasn't, it, there was no reality in it. And yet, even as, uh, I mean, I was exposed more to all that stuff, but I was also exposed to every Sunday going to church, learning about who Jesus is, learning about who God is, and... And um, knowing it here, and so I never have doubt in my mind about about that. Um, but it was never something that sunk deep into my spirit in terms of this is truth. Yeah. 
you know. Um, so every single youth rally, every single um, big, big event, when somebody threw the net out and said, hey, who wants to um, give their heart to the Lord? It's like my hand went up. So I've given my heart to the Lord probably about 30 times. <laughs> At very different occasions in very various different uh, situations, um, but for me it was probably never like this depth of reality. You know, um, it was more cerebral. It was more. Yeah, it, I, I believe the truth, and I always have. Um, and so I want to kick into now. I'm I'm 16 years old. I've had this opportunity to recreate myself because for the first um, two years of my high schooling, I was. I was picked on literally every single day and had, in a sense, in a physical sense, had an opportunity to recreate myself. I think God used that to restore. Um, I mean, I linked into to another Methodist church right there in, in, in the town, made some great friends. School was cool. Um, I actually said that. <laughs> School was cool. <laughs> anyway... Um, but at the same time, I was also being exposed to, to a few different things, and I saw some, some, of, the, some of the surfer boys, because Durban's just it's a surf town. So I mean, if, the, if, the, if the easterly's blowing, nobody, I mean, everybody's at school, but if the west is blowing, half the school cleared out, because the west brought in a good curling wave, and you know, everybody's at the beach. But with that came a whole bunch of friends who, who were into smoking and various other things. And um, so I thought, oh, I want to try this as well. So I scrounged a bit of money, and I went to the shop one evening and uh, bought myself a packet of cigarettes. I'm thinking, I'm going to try this. And I sat oh, probably about 100 meters away from my house on the curb. And I lit one up and I thought, let me try this. This is, let me be part of the cool crew, you know. And So you wanted to do this to fit in or to be yeah, part of it? Yeah, I kind of wanted to fit in, you know. Um, that was the motivation. Yeah, it pretty much was the motivation, you know. Um, I think trying to find my own identity in this world. Um, and I think for a lot of us at 15, 16, we start asking questions of ourselves, where do I really fit? You know, who, who are my friends? Who, where do I fit in this world? And um, on the sidewalk, um, you made me cry. I'm going to reach over and get these. On the sidewalk. That's the effect I have on most men. Oh. I either make you cry or put you to sleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, it was on the sidewalk trying to learn to smoke. And honestly, it's the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Yet, no, actually, no, not the stupidest, but it's one of the many stupid things I've done. But I just, I just like sucking the smoke in and blowing it out. Thought, okay, what's, what's the real purpose behind this? I actually wanted to vomit because I really didn't taste that good and uh, it didn't feel that good. But then I felt God just arrest me right there. And he said, what are you doing? Just, just a father. Said, what are you doing? Not, not, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Almost like a chuckle, yeah. you know. Um, and he said to me, are you walking with me because your dad has always and because your brothers and sisters have always or because you, you've made friends in a church and you, you're just going with emotions and doing this stuff? Or are you doing it because... You really, really believe in me? And um, so that box of 20 cigarettes got destroyed right there on the sidewalk um, after trying one. What a waste of money. <laughs> uh, 
No, actually, not really, because no, it brought really, you to this point. It, it brought me to a point of, so it's not really a waste of money. Good point, mate. Um, and, and God arrested me right there. No, no mood music. No, no one throwing the net out. Hey, put your hand up if you want to follow. God just said, hey, I love you for who you are. Come walk with me. And yeah, um, it just was one of those amazing moments of, of God just, hey, I love you. Um, there I go. <laughs> yeah. So the previous 30 times, it's not to diminish what they were, no. but this was a, a meeting between you and God. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was one of those. Yeah, this is it. There's no turning back. This is it. And um, I didn't need a preacher with fancy words to to draw me or to to emotionalize me, as it were. Just he just God drew me. Love you, my boy. Kind of thing. You know. Powerful. So you were 16 at this point. Yes. Awesome. So why don't we move back to Nick? So you had made it all your way to your 30s. Yep. <laughs> Wow, Married. You took a while, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Married with two kids, and your wife Jo has started heading along to a church and even popping over next door um, to the to the discipleship group, life group, and um, and yet you were still of the opinion of what about God? Where where were you? In the I was at the opinion there is no God. There is nothing supernatural. Everything can be explained by natural means. Um, like I said before, God was a crutch for people that were weak, and that's what I believed. And um, so, and that's why I was like, "Yeah, if, if you need it, you go." You know, and and my wife had been searching; she had gone through, you know, a little bit like you, know, you were talking about with um, your mum. You know, they were seeking who is God. You know, and so she went through a journey, and you know, that's her story. But you know, trying all these different things, and I saw that. You know, and there, you know, there seems to be this. There's this false life that comes when people start into those things where they think, oh, this is really good, you know, but then there's no, there's no real life. It doesn't continue, you know, and, um, and so I just thought this was another thing, you know, she's going along and that the people seem nice, you know, and all the rest of it. And, you know, people like Rodney at one stage invited me over to, um, to come out with some Christian guys, do something. I was like, I respectively said, no, no, I'm all good, bro. <laughs> and knowing Rodney at the time, it was like, I, I know that was a big step for him. And it was a big step out to ring, you know, someone who didn't believe and ask them to come along. So I appreciate that, Rodney. You know, you're part of the journey. Um, but, and so anyway, she's at, the, at this life group um, doing the Christian thing. While this was happening, you know, I could see there was change in her. Change that hadn't happened with these other things she had been involved in. You know, anxiety, she used to suffer a lot from anxiety, and the anxiety was just going, and it was waning, and she was more at peace, and she didn't get wound up like she used to, and just the way she dealt with me had changed, and, and things were changing. And so things were changing in the family. So I noticed things, but I was like, oh, this is good. You know, she's feeling something. It's making her a bit more level. That's all cool. I was always the level guy, you know. I was pretty chilled out got over things quickly, all the rest of it. So she started being a bit more like that. So I just sort of had an expectation, well, she's just getting a bit more like me. You know, that, that's good, you know. <laughs> awesome. There's the pride again, you know. And, um, and so she's going to the life group over the back fence, and she said, look, just come over for the meal. You know, they used to do a meal. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do, I can do the meal. But I organized table tennis for that night, so I used to go to table tennis. So I'd go for the meal. 
and then I'd take off before the crazy Jesus stuff happened. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what they did, but I just knew I didn't want to be a part of that. And um, so I would zap off to table tennis. I'd make my leave, you know, straight after the meal and get out of there. And, um, yeah, then there was this one day where I was sitting in a certain seat in the lounge and everyone sort of gathered around. I was like, oh, no, it's my time to go. You know, they're going to to start something here. But I got myself in a position where without being rude, I felt I couldn't leave. And something was holding me there, you know. There There was a sense something was holding there. Like I just wasn't able to get out in a way where I wouldn't offend someone, you know, and I was all about people's affirmation and all that sort of stuff because it was all about me. And um, then a good friend of our, a good friend of ours now, Abby, who used to go to the Rock here but is now over in Germany, um, she was sharing a testimony that night. And um, she shared her testimony, and it's interesting because, you know, I, w- I would have thought, you know, this would not be the testimony that would kick something off. You know, she was a pastor's kid. They were missionaries. You know, she was brought up churched in the church. You know, she started talking about her relationship with the Lord and all the rest of it. But, you know, she's female. She was of Indian descent, but born in Germany. You know, just totally the opposite of me. You know, how would anything like this speak to me? And so I wasn't, it wasn't that I was really touched by it, but I was sort of drawn in. I was like, okay, I'm hearing the story. This is an interesting story. What's going on? And anyway, we finished up at the group. We went home and we're lying in bed. Me and Joe, not me and Abby. <laughs> Get that straight. This is recorded. <laughs> Got that on recording. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Joe just simply said to me, she knew where I was at. She knew I didn't believe in anything supernatural. She knew I didn't believe in God. She said to me, what would make you believe in God? And I said to her, I said, if I had signs from God, I'd believe in God. If God revealed himself to me, I would believe in God. So I wasn't at a place where nothing was going to turn me. I was like, if it's real, okay, you know, but I don't believe it is. So I was sort of like, and then she said, okay, well, can I pray for that? And I went, oh, yeah. I I said, oh, yeah, but what I really meant was knock yourself out, you know, go hard. (laughs) Whatever you want to do, you know, sort of thing. And she said a simple prayer. She said, Lord, reveal yourself to Nick. And the funny thing was I said, amen. (laughs) Now... I wasn't a churched believer. So I don't know why I said amen. I, I had never prayed before in my life. And so I said amen. And it's a dangerous thing to say amen to prayers. So anyway, I get up in the morning, the next morning, and I walk out and I switch the t- TV on. And the words that came out of the TV were, believe in God. Clear as day, believe in God. So I switch the TV on, believe in God, comes out of the TV. So I'm like, like, ah, whatever. Joe's been watching Shine or something. I'll switch on the TV for the kids. And, um, and I went off to work. I worked the day at work in Upper Hutt. I was working at the time. And um, as I headed home from work, I was blasting the rock radio station. Not the rock church radio station. <laughs> the rock radio station. And I was listening to the metal and all that, you know, in the car as I'm driving along. And the rain was teeming down. It was one of these days in Wellington, you know, where the, the rain is just absolutely bucketing. There's water everywhere over the motorway. It was just huge. The wind, windscreen wiper, you know, slowing down because the windscreen wipers aren't keeping up with the rain. It was just heavy. It was a literal downpour. And as I was pulling out of Upper Hut onto the motorway at the lights there, um, 
on the radio, they said on the radio, on the rock radio station, what came out of the speakers was, how can you, oh, we've had a kid ring up, a 15-year-old boy has rung up and asked us, how can you believe in God when there's all this evidence against God? And so this is what I audibly heard out of the speakers in the, um, in the car. And I'm like, what? What are they talking about this on the rock radio station? This is bizarre. So I'm in my little car, windscreen wipers, rain teeming down. And I'm going, what's this about? And then, I had, then people rung up and said, oh, yeah, I love Metallica and I love Jesus. And this sort of stuff. And I'm like, what? What is going on here? <laughs> this is like Twilight Zone stuff, you know? I'm like, what's, what's happening here? And so then I started to pray. But I didn't know what prayer was at the time. But I'm having this conversation in my head. And I'm saying, and I remember the, in the morning, the words that came out of this TV. I'm hearing this now. I'm driving in the rain. And I said, and I said something along the lines of, this is enough for me. What is this? I said, and I was in my head, I'm saying, no, a sign is an angel appearing in front of me on the motorway and me having to swerve to miss this angel. That's the sort of sign I'm talking about, you know. Um, this isn't enough for me. You know, it's out of a heart of pride that needs something, you know, something more, you know. No, no, I'm not, I'm not changing for this. You know, this isn't enough. And so as I'm having this conversation with God, I'm driving down the motorway, and it's teeming with rain. And I get to Belmont Domain on the motorway. And um, at the bottom of just before Kelson Hill, where I live up in Kelson. And I get to the, this spot on the motorway, and I'm having this conversation with God, not knowing that I'm praying. And I hit surface water, and I aquaplane across both lanes of the motorway, back across again, Back across again, and back across again. Now, why this is going on, I mean, if you've been in an accident and those sort of things before, everything went into slow-mo. It's like, I would say my life flashed before my eyes, but it wasn't quite like that. It was more there was a realization that my life was now not in my hands. And I was at a point where I was not capable of saving myself. I was at a point where I was not in control. And there was nothing in myself. I'm, I'm on the steering wheel like this, and I'm trying to turn, and there's nothing. And I'm going across the, back and forth across the motorway. Meanwhile, there's a car sort of a 50 meters in front, 50 meters behind, just driving. I don't know what they thought was going on. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, it, this is slow-mo, and I'm like, I'm going to die here. There's no way I can ride this car. There's no way I can say this. Everything, I had nothing on the steering wheel. It was like, you know, there was nothing there. But then... But then, the car righted itself back in the lane that I was in, in the fast lane. And I coasted up to the lights at the bottom of Kelson Hill. And at that point, I'm like, oh my goodness, I should have died. What's going on? And then I've had this feeling come upon me. And I, I could feel something coming like this. I could feel it, feel it coming up. I, I thought that it would be visible. It was that real to me. And I was wondering what it was. And I looked into the rear vision mirror to see what this was that was happening because I thought I would be able to see something. And I couldn't see anything. But there was literally something coming, coming off. And it came up and it came up and it got to this point here and it was like, boom, I believed in God. And I had this reverence and this awe of God at the bottom of Kelson Hill. So I knew God as Lord. And... 
it was powerful because I knew in that second, in that very moment, that my way wasn't the right way. I knew nothing about God. Apart from, you know, a little bit that Joe had sort of shared with me and different things like this, just, and, and that was in that recent time. And, but I knew that my life did not line up with how a God who created everything would want my life to line up because I was doing everything for myself. Yeah, and so I had, a, I, had a, I had a moment at the bottom of the hill. I drove up the hill. I sat in the car for a few minutes just up the road from our house because I thought, I don't know what to do with this. I composed myself. I thought, right, I'm not going to tell Joe about what's happened. Um, I'm going to keep this to myself for a while, and I'm going to just try and work out what's happened. Little did I know you can't work out God. <laughs> he needs to reveal to you. And... So I composed myself, I got myself all calm, I looked in the mirror, yep, no problems here. I walk inside the house, I walk into the kitchen, and Joe was preparing dinner. I walked into the kitchen, she looked at me and she said, what happened? <laughs> I don't know what she saw, you know, but she could see something was different. Just as I could see things that were happening and her were different, I'd had a moment with God, I walk in, and as the, to the best of my ability, I'm trying not to reveal anything to her, and I walk in there, and I'm like, hey, babe, how's it going? And she's like, hi. She looks at me. What happened? And so I said, I'll talk to you about it later. <laughs> that doesn't work with my wife. <laughs> she's an in-the-now person. <laughs> you know, if there's something to be discussed, let's discuss it now. And so she got it out to me. I said, oh, well, wait till the kids are in bed. You know, I, didn't, I just didn't know what to do with it. And so then I shared with her what had happened. And she told me later, then she was freaking out. What do I do now? You know, I don't know how to disciple someone. What's going on? But as Lord had his hand on those things. Can you describe what you mean by you knew him as Lord? My worldview shifted. My worldview changed at the bottom of the hill. I had this worldview. Life was about getting the best out of it for you. And this was what it was about. This was the motivation for my life. What can you get out of it? Um, you, you want to get pleasure, you want to get things, you want to get you know whatever you want to get out of relationships. So it was self and pride was what I was basing my life around. And I was the God in my life. As soon as I realized there was a God outside of me, I realized things had to be totally different. And it was not just a little bit different, it was going to be totally different. And so I just had a realization of that. And there was a reverence that came over me, man. Because right then and there, I believed there is a creator God. There is one God. He is the creator God. Uh, and that was just rhema from, the, from God. It was a word from God. It was just light given to me. I was in darkness. He just shed light in through his kindness. Awesome. Awesome. So, Sina, you're now 21. And you've just had this tragic thing happen in your family what did you do from that moment did you did you think I need to turn to God or what did you turn to so earlier I mentioned that um, when I was 20 I started up a I drew up actually a 20-year plan for myself my siblings and my father um, 
And it kind of went like this. Okay, so my sister, she's 10 at the moment. In a couple of years, um, oh no, she's going to go to the same college as I did and then go to university. And then, oh, I also have to start working so I can pay her to go to uni. Um, my dad, he's got another 25 years of work. Then he retires and then I will have to look after him. My brother, hmm. My mother's last words were, Sina, look after my son. So all I have to do is keep him alive till he's married. <laughs> um, so now I was 27, Morse was 26, and my younger sister, Aniva, was 16. And, um, and I thought to myself, yeah, boom, I got, this, I got this down. My action plan is going very well. Man, I got this. Until... August the 16th, 2003. When um, my dad and my sister got killed in a car accident. I was completely six. Um... Because my parents or my family was whom my foundations were built on. And also my whole, my, my upbringing validated my existence. My purpose was anchored on it. My identity was built on it. And my self-worth was defined by it. Um, and I, as I tried to cope by controlling my emotions so I wouldn't feel the pain, my heart just started to get darker and darker and darker. And um, during a night out, um, I, got be- I got into a bit of an altercation. Um, I was in such rage at this point that it took a couple of guys to hold me back from hurting another female. The thing was, I didn't want to hurt her. I wanted to kill her. But I also knew my strength and my capability to remove breath from her. And that was the night I came to the end of myself. I had no more control of my emotions. I had no more control of my mind. And I had no more control of my actions. And so I cried out. Man, like, somebody take this pain away from me. Take this heartache. And God, if you're real, show yourself. Um, and, um, and he showed us if, all right. <laughs> the thing is, he was with me the whole time. 
It was with me the whole time. Because what I didn't mention before, um, when my brother and I and a whole lot of family members went to identify my brother and sister, uh, my, sorry, dad and sister. Okay, you also got to remember I wasn't a Christian then or I wasn't, I wasn't going to church. The context, and also I was in a morgue at this point. Um, I remember this audible voice speaking to me, but I also remember this this sense of peace that I've never felt ever in my life. Um, and the voice said, Sina, they are with me. And I thought to myself, and if you know me well at this point, uh, back then I, I was someone that functioned on you know, precision and sufficiency, I was like, hmm, okay, um, factor in the travel time from Wellington to Bulls combined with the weather and the lack of food and a lot of emotional people around me, hmm, this must be what shock is. (laughs) And so I was starting to, you know, I started to break down what these emotions were. So you're trying to justify this voice and this feeling of peace and calling it shock. Yeah, and I was just like, no. Um, But the second time he showed his faithfulness was when I went to the coroner's inquest. Now, this was a biggie because... um, And when I came out of the court, I saw the truck driver and... um, I clearly remembered again this voice speaking to me again. This clear, this audible voice saying, Sina, release him. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was like, what the f? Because, <laughs> man, like this guy's standing alive in front of me. But um, all I remembered was I started walking towards the truck driver and then. Um, I said to him, hi, my name is Sina. I am the daughter and the sister of the deceased. And um, I want you to know my, myself, my brother and our family are going to be okay. But also you, your family are going to be okay. Yeah, that was, man, that was, that's faithful. I just, it's, there's no words to describe, you know, especially when I had no relationship with him. I didn't want, remember, I, I made that choice to walk away. So just, yeah. I don't even know where I, yeah, I mean, I, now I know years later where that strength came from. But man, back then, when you have no relationship with him, and you're trying to figure out what this is. But this whole, you know, this sense of peace, and you, that, yeah, there's just no words to explain it. But um, yeah. 
so you had these two two encounters with God where he provided you the strength and the peace to be able to get through those two moments. And when you cried out a few years later, when you'd reached the end of yourself, could you recognize it was the same God that revealed himself? Yeah. I did. And I and that's and that's what moved me. Um was this and that's where I thought, man, okay. I was so curious to what this was. Like I'm not the most I'm not a very emotional person, so saying that while I'm crying up on stage. Um <laughs> Um, and because I had suppressed a lot of these emotions as well too, um, yeah, he, that process of coming to the end of myself, like Nick had mentioned, had, had to happen. Um, and it's what led me to, towards him. But also then I knew I had to start looking for a, a church community. And um, yeah, and that's how I got to the rock. I'll be honest with you, uh, when I walked through here, it was not somewhere I was, mm, I was like, mm, this is different. We're raised, because uh, we're so used to, uh, my cousins testify of this as well too, very traditional Samoan church, one organ, not an eight-piece pan. Yeah, mm. And the kids sit there, the ladies sit there, the men sit there. It was a very different environment. And everybody wears white, and women don't wear pants. <laughs> but an amazing thing about your journey and trying to find uh, a community. So you knew that you needed to connect into a church, but yeah. you started looking around a few different places, and it didn't sit right for a while. So what was different about this house? What was different was... Actually, it all looked very similar to me. Um, what was di- what was different was, was him. It was him saying, "This is where I want you." Yeah, it was just that same voice that um, spoke to me in the morgue, spoke to me at the coroner's inquest. That said, pretty much, "This is where I want you to fellowship," and the rest is history. <laughs> Wow. You know what's amazing about this is we've got three different people from different parts of the world, three incredibly different stories, yet it's the same story because it's the story of redemption and our incredible God. And so thank you for sharing your stories this far. But what I'd love to hear is, is what, what does life look like in God? What does life look like with Him actually, not on the peripheral, like you said, but actually being the center of your life? What does it look like to be a Christian, not one that maybe you'd seen Nick earlier in your life and, and said, that's cool for them, but I don't, I don't want to be like that. What does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of God? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll 
carry on answering the question based on, on, on where I've come from. So 16 years old, I've, I've just had this encounter with God of, I wouldn't say of rescuing me from a drug addiction or rescuing me from, from any form of crazy wild living, but, but he's kept me from that. Um, he's, he's kept me from, from having to walk into, to have to have a big story of, of restoration, if you know what I mean. But so 16 years old, I'm still part of the church. I'm still walking with, with, um, with the Methodist church. And by the time I'm in my final year of school, which for us is um, standard 10, grade 12, matric, whatever you want to call it, year 13 here. Let's just do that. Yeah. Um, halfway through, um, I start, I'm, I'm digging through scripture, asking God about stuff and so on. And, and, and one of the things that, that was jumping out at me, and of course all my friends as well, was they were getting baptized and felt God saying, hey, you need to be baptized. As, as, as an outward sign of your faith, as a, as a standing up for, for truth. And so I went to my youth master then, and I said to him, hey, I'd really want to be baptized because this is what's happening around me, and this is what I see in Scripture. Uh, we, we don't do that here, was his answer. His answer was, we don't do that here. We, we, we baptize um, sprinkling of children and so on. And, and, and I didn't like the answer as a very cheeky teenager that I was. Um, so at that stage, I started hunting for another, another home, as it were, um, hunting for another church. You didn't like it, why? Because it didn't sit with Scripture for me. It, it didn't seem, and it didn't sit, look like truth. Um, because even the word baptism for me is being submerged, dying to self. A child doesn't know that. A child doesn't understand that. An infant doesn't understand that. It's not a sprinkling of water, it's a submersion. It's, you know, you understand? Death to the old. Exactly. New life in Christ. I'm not going to die from sprinkling of water. Um, You know, you're going to get drowned almost. (laughs) So I started looking for a new home. um, And I walked into a home, well, various different homes, similar to this. And there was one called Victory Faith Centre at the time, um, so six months into my final year of school, I walked in, and as I walked through the doors, it was, right, you're home. This is it. The meeting hadn't started. There wasn't music playing. There wasn't any, you're home. Um, so I started linking with the people, linking with the, the, the youth pastor there. He pretty much fathered my walk um, in, in, in God. Um, I still call him a dad, um, a spiritual father for me. Um, I mean, he's 60 now, and starting a new workout in Malawi, of all places. Um, and what does that look like now? It's, it's, it's a walk not in the brain, not of just our own physical understanding. It's, it's, a, it's a depth of spiritual understanding. Have I ever walked away from him? No, never, ever. Um, I just can't. Have I doubted? Yeah. That's my human brain <laughs> kicking in, you know. I've never ever doubted that Jesus is Lord, that He is the King, and He holds the earth, the world, the universe in His hands. He counts the stars, and we just cannot understand the the volume of that. There's more than we can even see with these mini telescopes that humans have made. 
And yet he's made billions more. And he knows them by name. And that fascinates me. But that beyond fascinates me. I just stand in awe of him and I just cannot walk away. Um, and then in our walk with church, we've been part of church leadership before. We've, we, we've led, we've, we've, we've walked this. And in the past 10 years or so, the church in a sense, I mean globally, not just, just um, one body, the church in a sense has, has gone through this transition of being seeker-sensitive, being, being entertainment, um, being, for want, of, for want of a better word, entertainment. Because we want to draw the masses. And yet, what really draws the masses is Jesus himself, yeah. the Holy Spirit himself. Amen. Um, and for, for, I'd say, a good part of a decade, I've been looking for truth again. Um, looking for the depth of, of, of who, who God is in a body. Not, not the smoke and the lights. Not the entertainment. Not the, the fun, funky worship. Not... Entertaining preaching, and there's place for it in a very small way, but the depth of it comes when when there's truth being preached in a real way that's challenging to the core and uncomfortable, not entertaining. Um, So what that looks like is what I see here, kind of. It really is. I didn't initially want to come to The Rock because I heard at one stage <laughs> The Rock was entertainment-based at one stage. And I don't know if it was that's the case. Right. I don't know if that is the truth. Yeah. But that's kind of what I heard. And, and I never even wanted to walk through the doors because of that. Mm-hmm. But we visited Debbie when, when she arrived. And we've only been here five months. Well, four for them. Five for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't want to come here because of what I've heard about what the church was like 10 years ago. And I, again, I don't know if that was truth. A bit more entertainment based, but God has taken me, turned me upside down, shaken me up, and said, This entertainment stuff, it's, it's not on. I want a relationship with you. I want truth with you. The Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to you. And I see that here. And, and I'm excited by it. So, have we got it all together? No. Never ever. Because we're a bunch of human, all flawed and messed up. As faulty as the next guy. Um, but we just need to be open for him. And that, that's what it looks like for me now. Yeah. That's awesome. So can you help me? Is it true that at the airport, for all South Africans getting off the plane, there's a sign saying, go visit the rock? Because <laughs> it seems everyone who comes through the door for the first time is South African. No. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. So, so you, you discovered God as Lord, can you describe, you know, answering that question, but how did it evolve? How did, you know, you get to know God? You know, as Lawrence so beautifully put, this depth, this um, substance comes from knowing God. Can you describe your your journey? So just, I'll try to do it as quick as possible. I had the experience with God, and then from that moment on, I was open up to things of the spirit. I was open up to supernatural things because God had revealed himself in a way that showed he was supernatural and that he existed. And so now for me, it was like, okay, so who is God? Because I had this experience of God at the bottom of my I'm like, who is God? I knew Joe was praying in the name of Jesus. So I knew I had to look at Jesus. And I went on a journey of 
of finding God, for finding out who he was. And so in that, you know, I'd started to learn about prayer and I started to learn how to walk with God. I went out the next day and just went to Mana Bookstore and bought a Bible. Little did I know there's all different versions, I, translations. I, I, I was, was like standing by this yeah. wall going, okay, I thought there was a Bible. What's going on here? So now I understand there's different translations and, and different versions. Of the rest of it. But I was like, I didn't know how to pick the right one. I was like, what do I choose? And, um, and so this is the beginning stage of how good God is and how he'll just come to you where you're at. And I'm looking across this shelf of all these different Bibles. There's KJV, NIV, you know, New King James, all the rest of it. I'm like, I don't know what, what, what's what here. I'm a bit overwhelmed. Lord, help me. And then I see this little Bible. And it was a camo one. I always wear camo shorts. Okay? <laughs> so I saw this little camo, camo Bible, zip, zip Bible, and it was a little NLT. That's where we're at. Yeah. And so, so I just grabbed it. I went, okay, let's go with this, and just started reading. And everything was fresh and everything was new. And the beauty of that was God was just revealing who he is, what he's about. At the same time, I'm reading up a storm of books. I'm on the internet. I'm going, who is God? I'm seeking, who are you actually? And so I was looking at everything. So, I mean, I I was looking at everything from the basis of, Joe prayed in the name of Jesus. But what about these other faiths? What about all these other things? And so I was looking into other faiths to find out, you know, what, what they believed, you know, all the rest of it. There was only one that had life. There was only one that had truth. There was only one that made sense to everything in creation because there's only one creator God. And I very quickly realized that. And God just started to speak to me, started to move me by his Holy Spirit, started to convict me. I was I was. Re- going through a period of repentance which looked like going to Joe on numerous occasions and just telling her everything I'd done in my past and it got to the point where Joe's like okay what now <laughs> Come on, I've got to speak to you <laughs> you know I would I would the Lord would show me things the enemy I felt the enemy was attacking me on things you're not good enough you cannot be saved you cannot come into this family you cannot come to this father because of this because of this because of this and so the holy spirit would move me in his way and say tell joe she's the person you care about most on this earth tell her what you've done and i'm like she's going to leave me if i tell her those things and he was like it's just that sense do you trust me and he would tell me, and she would, and I remember the first time I went and spoke to her about something, and she said, God's forgiven you, so I forgive you too. And I just broke down and wept. And I spent a lot of my first few years just weeping because of the Lord. I was someone that never cried. You know, it was stoic. You know, you don't cry. It would have to be something extreme to take me to that place. And I remember coming into the rock and the same thing. Uh, we went in the next Sunday after I would, you know, met the Lord on the Monday. The next Sunday, I'm like, right, we're off to the rock. Joe's like, well, oh, okay. That, that wasn't hard. <laughs> yeah, she said I was going to have to drag me, you know. And then I'm like, no, we're going in. And so I came in, you know, there was an older call that day as well. I gave my heart to the Lord there at the older call. Um, I chatted with Greg, weeping in tears. And, man, it was just amazing. It was a total switch, a total change. My whole worldview shaken up, changed completely. 
to the point where after a few weeks, a couple of months, I met with my brother and he said to me, it's like you've gone 180 degrees and you've totally changed. For him, he was, I think he was actually saying it like, it's not a good thing. <laughs> but for me, I was like, yes, because that's what it's about. You know, by that stage, I knew that my life was to change because my life wasn't tracking in the way it should track. One of the biggest things for me, I think, from knowing him as Lord, that allowed me to move, start to move and do the things that he was asking me to do and understand a healthy fear of the Lord. Then I needed the kindness and the goodness of God. And we all need the kindness and goodness of God. We need to know him as Father, yeah. as Abba Father, mm-hmm. as an intimate relationship with a Father, a Creator who is Father. And so he showed me that. And I had an experience where the Holy Spirit came upon me and he filled me with his love. Mm. He filled me. And he not only did that, but he changed my mind. He renewed my mind in that, in that time. I don't know how long it was. It could have been half an hour. It could have been three quarters of an hour. And he just filled me with his love. It was pouring out of me. And he was showing me my father. And my father was a good father, mm. a very good father, a loving father. But there were things that happen in a relationship where you get hurt by people. They're doing things for the right reason, but they do it in the wrong way. And so there were things he brought to mind. And he had me going through this time of I was weeping. I ended up just laying down on the floor and I'm weeping. I'm being filled with the presence of God, with the love of God, just comforting me in this. I needed no one else, nothing else. It was him. And he showed me all these things that had happened with my father. And he restored. And he took me through a place of forgiving my father. So I was set free, you know, to release him from the judgment I held. I didn't even know, know I held, held this, you know. If someone had asked me, I would, have, I would have been said, no, no, my father's awesome. And he is. But my heavenly father showed me such a heart, you know, such a desire. And showed me what my father's desire, what his motivations were for in the things that had happened. So I was able to forgive him. And I was able to then really start to come into this relationship with Father God. That, and, and one of the biggest things for me is to know that no matter how far I fall, no matter how far I, you know, when I do the wrong things, say the wrong things, you know, I say the wrong things a lot. Um, but he's always there and nothing, nothing can keep you from him. He's always there. And the picture I got for today was there. He's a father. He's waiting with open arms. It's the prodigal son story. You know, he waits mm. for us yeah. with open arms, mm. with a ring, good, with the cloak to draw you into, back into the family. Mm. So wherever you're at, he's calling you in and he's yeah. waiting. He desires to be with you. What was the question? Jesus in your life, what does it look like now? You described the the feelings of hurt, of brokenness, of you know the pain of losing family members. All of this stuff had built up. What happened to that? Man, um, how do you describe death to life, hopeless to hope? Um, Darkness to light, how do you describe um, his goodness? Because I thought it was 
impossible to actually to to be healed of the heartache that I had endured. That I had endured. I thought it was just impossible, and it radically shifted my thought process, the way I spoke, the way I approached people, the way even my relation, yeah, just my relationships. It radically shifted and altered my sight of everything because, man, I tell you, I'll, okay, so this is before I got to know the Lord. Imagine receiving flowers. Okay, so I was that person that would receive flowers. I would look at it and go, that's pretty, but they're going to die. So that, uh, that explains literally the darkness. You know, it's that life, that sight of no hope. It, and, but just the, it's a love that I, you know, me and Lawrence were just saying before um, that there is no verbal language that could just, that I could use to describe to you a love that just surpasses everything even this earth, so, um, man, I, yeah, I'm just so grateful, I'm grateful for my parents, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my sis, my brother and sister, I'm just, in my yeah, I'm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, languages are funny things, eh? Yeah, fully. So I, I feel like we could talk for the rest of the day. <laughs> but I just wonder, maybe if Steph and the team want to come join us. Like, um, yeah. Something that um, I've been feeling for a while, just um, for a good few weeks now. Um, just what does that look like now? It's, it's, it's a lifting of our heads mm. to see the king, to yeah. see our father, to see yeah. his eyes, not, not the groveling around on the floor, not... not looking at our feet on the ground the whole time but a lifting of our heads to see him to see the king of glory that's what it looks like um and it's beautiful it really is beautiful and the beautiful thing about that is then you see how the father sees you because i think you can get stuck in your own head of thinking that you're not worthy of god you know, maybe your story is similar to one of these three stories, or maybe it's completely different, but God can still come into your world. And as we've heard, He can be a Father. He can be Lord. He can heal brokenness and pain. He's a healer. He is the comforter. He is everything that humans fail and fall short of doing and I don't want to create like I've been thinking about this all week like I want to put an invitation out there if you've never received God if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior I want to put an invitation out there for you to come forward and to do that but I don't feel like I need to say too much more I I know that these three would love to pray with you. I know that our elders and some other leaders from our, our family here at The Rock would love to pray with you, to hear some of your story, to be able to have a conversation. We're, we're not afraid to have a conversation. We're not afraid of, you know, language you might use or ways you might feel. 
because God's not. And so, like we said earlier, and like these guys have done so well at doing, let's be real. And let's have a, have a time, a moment with God. And if you, uh, if you come here and you call yourself a Christian, but something God is drawing, something He's calling you, um, I want to put the invitation out there for you as well. Come do business with God. There's going to be people that would love to pray with you. We say come down the front because that's an easy way to do it. But just like Lawrence, God can meet you tomorrow on the footpath or he can meet you in the car at the bottom of Belmont Hill. We can meet you in a nightclub. That's where I get my moment. Yeah. <laughs> or he can meet you right here, right now. And so I just want to create an opportunity. The team are going to sing a song.